Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assault me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing that I have asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Those are the first four verses of Psalm 27, which along with Psalm 23 are the Psalms appointed for today, Saturday, November the 5th, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along. We're continuing our look at the book of Ecclesiasticus today in chapter 51, the first 12 verses, and then in Luke's Gospel, chapter 14, verses 1 to 11, and then finally in the book of the Revelation, chapter 18, verses 1 to 14. <clears throat> so... <clears throat> Those four verses there that that I just read, if you want to know what Jesus means when he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and and all these things will be added unto you, that's it right there. Those first four verses, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? Look, when they come after me, he says, my enemies come after me, they're the ones who are going to stumble and fall. If an army comes against me, I'm not going to fear that. The war rise against me, I'm going to be confident for one reason. There's one thing I've asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. That's what it means to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It's to trust him for everything else and to say, I have one desire in life, and that one desire is... It is to be in the house of the Lord all the days of my life from now throughout all eternity. Just a quick heads up. <laughs> so the Ecclesiasticus passage, I give you thanks, O Lord and King, and praise you, O God, my Savior. I give thanks to your name, for, for you have been my protector and helper, and you've delivered me from destruction and from the trap laid by a slanderous tongue from lips that fabricate lies. And it fits right in with what I just read. And, and I've told you this before, my mentor, Chuck Murphy, when people would come after him and make claims against him, he never defended himself because he said sooner or later, everybody gets your number. And, and he knew that the Lord would be his defender and his protector, and he trusted him in that. And, and what he could say all through his life is he always had been. And, and that's a confidence that we're supposed to have and we're intended to have. In the face of my adversaries, you have been my helper and delivered me. In the greatness of your mercy and of your name, from grinding teeth about to devour me, from the hand of those seeking my life, from the many troubles I endured, from choking fire on every side and from the midst of the fire that I had not kindled, from the deep belly of Hades, from an unclean tongue and lying words, the slander of an unrighteous tongue to the king. My soul drew near to death, and my life was on the brink of Hades below. They surrounded me on every side, and there was no one to help me. I looked for human assistance, and there was none. Then I remembered your mercy, O Lord, and your kindness from of old. This sounds so much like Jonah's prayer from the pit of the, or the belly of the whale. He he realized, you know, I was sinking into the depths, and then I remembered, <laughs> I remembered you. I will. I, this is not the end. I'm proclaiming that, and that's exactly what this writer is saying as well. He was nobody to help me but you. Then I remembered your mercy, O Lord, and your kindness from of old. For you rescued those who wait for you and saved them from the hand of their enemies. And I sent up a prayer from the from the earth and begged for rescue from death. 
I cried out, Lord, you're my father. Do not forsake me in the days of trouble when there's no help against the proud. I will praise your name continually and will sing hymns of thanksgiving. This is, it sounds exactly like Jonah. This is exactly what he says because he said, Jonah says, I will praise you in the great congregation. I will, this is what will happen. I will ultimately come before you and I will stand and I will proclaim all of this, your great deliverance. And then he says, salvation belongs to the Lord. And then he spit out. And that's exactly what this person's doing. They said, you know, I, I was sinking and I was drowning and then I, and there was nobody to help me. <clears throat> and then I realized, wait a minute, I have God. And I know because I have a history in God. I have a history of him doing these things for me. And sometimes our last resort is to pray when the main thing that we could do, if we could do make one change in our lives, the first thing we should do is pray. The first thing I'm likely to do is to retaliate some way. I'm going to say something. But no, that's not what we're supposed to do. We're intended to fall back on him. And <clears throat> prayer should be our first option, not our final option. My prayer was heard, and you saved me from destruction and rescued me in time of trouble. For this reason, I thank you and praise you, and I bless the name of the Lord. You know, it's funny. I went to the—I uh, had to go to pick up some stuff at Walmart today, and so I went over there, and, and I picked it up, and I talked to a friend of mine just briefly as, as we were leaving, somebody I hadn't seen probably in a couple of years now, and we had a nice chat. And then uh, I was kind of in a hurry to get out because Suzanne wasn't feeling well, and I needed to— the stuff I was picking up was actually some medicine stuff for her, and so I, I, was, I was feeling like I was failing because I stopped and talked to my friend first. Um, and, and, but, and then, so I go pay for this stuff, and I'm, one of the things that I was getting was Mucinex. And so this, this woman who was working at Walmart came over and spoke with me, and, and she said, oh, I've, I have to do something. I said, what are you talking about? She said, you, you have to be 18 to be able to buy that. I have to clear that. So she did. And then we began to talk, and then she began, and, and I'm thinking, I, I really need to go. I didn't come in here to chat with you or anybody else, frankly. But she f wanted to chat. So, well, okay, now I'm going to. So I stopped, and, and she shared her story with me, and her story was is that um, only a couple of months ago, she, um, she was in a pit. She was absolutely in a pit of hell. Um, she was sick and had all kinds of physical issues, but also she had serious, serious drug problems. And then uh, just, what, four months ago, she was in church and went down front, accepted the Lord, he saved her. Everything about her has changed. She showed me a picture. It's unbelievable. You would never guess it was the same person. Her hair color is different <laughs> than it was. I mean, the Lord changed everything about her. He healed. She had this horrible skin disease, and, and nobody could figure out what to do with it or how to fix it. He healed her. Everything about this woman is different. And so she was telling me then that, that her uh, son called her a few days, a couple of weeks ago, actually, and said, Mama, I've just had it. I'm absolutely going to just go dark. I'm sick of the way people treat me. I'm trying to be a nice guy, and that's not getting, you know, my life is not what it ought to be. People are treating me like I'm uh, somebody just run over in public. And, and, and no, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go dark on this. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm just going to re respond tit for tat. And then um, she encouraged him not to. And a week later, he came to church with her, and he accepted the Lord as well. And he's walking with the Lord. So it, it's they were both in the pit of hell, and the Lord delivered them. It was so exciting. You know, you, you never know what's going to happen if you try and buy Mucinex at Walmart. 
you never know what you're going to end up with. But what a beautiful, what a wonderful day it was to hear that story from that lady. I, I, I will not forget. And her name happens to be Angel, by the way. So anyway, just really, really nice lady. I really appreciated the opportunity to sit and talk with her for a few minutes. So now in this, uh, in this uh, gospel lesson today, uh, one of the Sabbaths, so we, we've already got sort of an idea, right, that, that things are probably not going to go well, uh, because one Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house uh, of a ruler of the Pharisees, now we know it's not going to go well. <clears throat> they were watching him carefully. Why? to see what he would do, to see what they could accuse him of. Behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees when he saw him and said, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Well, we've had this conversation, and we? we just had this conversation a few days ago in the gospel. But they remain silent because they know the answer is yes, he can. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to him, which of you, having a son or an ox that's fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they couldn't reply to these things because those things were allowed. So there's work that you can't do on the Sabbath. But, but one of the things that you can do is to save life. And so if a son or an ox falls into a well on the Sabbath, they, they're bound to get them out because that's how important life is. And that's exactly the point Jesus was making. So he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor. So they were keeping a close eye on him, but he obviously was keeping a close eye on them as well. So he said to them, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, don't sit down in a place of honor lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person. And then you'll begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all those who sit at table with you. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, so Jesus had watched them jockeying for and choosing their places at the table is the reason he, he tells this story, right? I mean, that, that's clear that that's what, what's happened here is, is that, that they all wanted the, the higher seat, and, and they wanted to claim that importance for themselves based on where they chose to sit at this banquet. The funny thing is, God was at the banquet. <laughs> Jesus was at the banquet. And so he should have had the chief seat of honor. He doesn't say that. But, but I guarantee you that after the resurrection and after the church is being formed and all that, these people probably remembered that day and thought, I thought I was the important person that day. And little do they know. And even if they didn't accept that before their death, well, when they stand before the throne, they'll know whose seat is the most important. And, and it is true. We need, to, we need to, to live by the maxim that Jesus gave there, which is everybody who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who, exalts him, who humbles himself will be exalted. You know, d don't make much of yourself. Allow others to do that if they want to. But even then, remain humble, no matter how great your position in life may be. Man, there's a lot of people in the world today who could, who could absolutely hear that and, and say, oh, yeah, maybe, maybe. I'm not particularly well-educated on these issues. Maybe I should keep my mouth shut. I don't understand that the other person's position here. Maybe I should be quiet. 
if if people understood that principle, the world would be a much different place. It would be a less divided place because what we would have is the humility to say, I believe I probably have something to learn here. That my opinion may not be the most important one in the room. There's possibly, quite possibly, somebody here that knows a lot more about this than I do, and I just have a feeling. I have an opinion. And so we would be a much better place. We'd be a much better place without things like Twitter to start with, but, but a whole lot of other things too. There, there's a whole lot of places in, in, in our world where we would be a lot better off if, if humility was really the rule of the day. In the uh, Revelation lesson, after this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven having great authority. And the earth was made bright with his glory. This is one of the archangels. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons. I mean, what a horrible idea. A haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. I mean, so Babylon, which would have been this, this glorious city, the city that, that John marveled at in, the, in yesterday's lesson, now... The proclamation comes from heaven that it's become a detestable thing, and it's a haunt for every unclean spirit, unclean bird, unclean and detestable beasts. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. And, you know, you've seen dystopian movies like Escape from New York and all that kind of stuff, uh, 28 Days Later, any of those things where we see the ultimate ruination of these cities that then become inhabited by all these wild animals and things like that. And so we see that in a way that, that it's, I don't know if you've ever seen something that, that you had seen before when it was a thing of splendor, but now it's gone to seed. That could be a person. It could be a house. It could be all kinds of things. But if you've ever seen something and then seen it later after it had gone to seed, and there's just this sense of, ugh, wow, it, it, will, it will just break your heart sometimes when you see things after not having seen them for a long time and then having them be neglected and just become as nothing. And it's, it, it, that's exactly the image that we're getting here. And so why? Well, because the, all the nations of the earth— participated in that immorality. And so, you know, it, I think of, um, what's the name of it? Um, Wonderful Life, right? So that, that alternative universe after he uh, says that I wish that I'd never been born, and, and now he goes back and, and Bedford Falls is Potterville, and, and what, it, what it became without his influence and the influence of the uh, building and loan, and George Bailey gets an opportunity to see what the world would be like without him, and he sees it having gone completely to hell. And, and I think that, that if we could get a glimpse of the difference that we make in other people's lives, we would probably be way more encouraged than, than we are at the moment. And we need to be good, or get good, actually, at encouraging other people and, and telling other people how much they mean and, and what we see them doing that's really important. We as Christians should be really encouraging people. We should be very encouraged. Uh, we should be encouragers, and we need. We all need it. We all need to hear it. We all need to be encouraged. Um, but, but you can see the devastation, and everybody participated in this, and it was a wonderful and a beautiful thing. And now it's just 
pathetic. And it's the way that they would have felt about the temple when they saw it destroyed, that it, it, everything would have been ruined, what the, the fear of the Lord would have been gone. Now it's just a ruined building where before the glory of the Lord filled this place and the worshipers went up and all that. And so that, that's, he says, that's what this is going to look like in Babylon, that ultimately it too will be ruined, um, sort of like Epstein Island. Let's make an example and let's let's do a really horrible thing. You know, that place was this luxurious uh, island where the rich and famous used to gather and all that. And now I have no earthly idea what's there anymore, but but the luster is gone. And so I'm going to compare it to Epstein Island. That Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues, for her sins are heaped as high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Um, maybe another example would be Las Vegas. All that glitters isn't gold. And, and and I know there's good stuff in Las Vegas. There are great churches, actually, in Las Vegas. I have friends that lived there and, and loved being there and all that. But let's not pretend that there's not horrific vice there in that place, um, prostitution and everything else. So what would that look like if, if those casinos were just all emptied out? How, how devastating would that be for the people who loved uh, Vegas? Pay her back as she herself has paid back others and repay her double uh, for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed. So she poured out this iniquity to others and now mix a double portion of wrath and judgment in the cup that she mixed, and make her drink of that. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning. Since in her heart she says, I sit as a queen, I'm no widow, and mourning I shall never see. For this reason her plagues will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire, for mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. And that sounds, that, that judgment of she'll be burned up with fire sounds like Sodom and Gomorrah. And, and God's judgment will come in an instant like that. And the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. They will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her, since no one buys their cargo anymore, cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, and sheep, horses and chariots and slaves, that is, human souls." So don't say that the Bible doesn't have anything to say about slavery. I mean, obviously, that's a powerful, powerful statement there at the very end of this long list of the products of Babylon ends up with slaves, that is, human souls. The powerful statement. Absolutely just sickening when you see it so clearly. And this is, you know, a couple thousand years before... We got around to condemning it in the world. The fruit for which your soul long has gone from you and your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Remember, let's go back to that, that psalm again. One thing I've asked of the Lord, that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Let that be the desire of your heart. 
you know, and I know that's difficult to maintain 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But but the reality is, so long as we set ourselves and set our sights and set our aim on that one thing, we'll never be disappointed. We will never be disappointed and will never be found in the wrong place at the wrong time. We don't we are not called to participate in these things. We're not called to marvel at those things and to be fascinated by these things. We're called to come out and separate ourselves from them. And in doing so, we've judged those things because they ought to be judged. Paul says it again and again. The list of things that that this says here that people participated in are exactly the same list Paul gives pretty much in every single epistle that he ever wrote. The things to separate yourselves from and pursue the opposite of those things. The the church can be too worldly. I can be too worldly. And it's something that, that I need to work on. It's something I need to be better at. And, and I hope that that you will be too.